This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. I heard in passing today a statistic from a poll recently taken that somewhere over 40% of Americans believe we're in the end times. Can you believe that? About 40%. I wonder how many people in the church actually believe that. And I wonder how many pastors actually believe that and would have the temerity to declare it. You see, that's the problem. If we don't see what time it is, we're not going to give the right message. I remember back when I was studying French in high school and then also in college, and there's only one phrase that I really remember distinctly from all of that study, and it's this phrase, Kellur Etil. Kellur etil. You know what it means? It's asking a question. What time is it? What time is it? And if we don't know what time it is, we're not going to be delivering the right message for the time. In fact, we're going to miss it altogether. And what concerns me, and I think what's led me to leave the practice of law at the height of my career, other than the Lord told me to do so, is that it seems we just don't understand what time it is. I remember sitting, uh, as we were launching Save America Ministries uh, 30 years ago, sitting with a dear friend of mine over breakfast. And I was sharing with him what I felt that God was calling us to do. And uh, he made this statement that I've never forgotten. He said, don't say it like that. Say it nicer. Don't say it like that. In other words, don't say it directly. Don't say it specifically. Don't actually say things the way they really are. Say it nicer. In other words, it was all about promotion. It was all about marketing. All about marketing the gospel. The problem is that the market now commands the master. And the master has become almost nothing but a mascot even in our churches. What do we do about this? If we're really on the near edge of the second coming of Jesus Christ and we're really approaching the end of the age, shouldn't our efforts, shouldn't our understanding, shouldn't our hearts be quickened in such a way that it would affect our mouths, that it would affect our voices, that it would affect our entire beings? You would think so. But looking at the statistics of our day, Looking at the practices among professing Christians today, you would never know that. You'd just never know it. So what do we do? How does God call a nation to repentance? Well, it begins in God's house because judgments are going to begin at the house of God. But what's the message? What does the voice say that God sends? Well, it reveals the error of personal and corporate ways. It rebukes for failure to follow God's ways. It reproves for failure to do judgment and justice. It repents corporately while leading the people to repent personally. It revives the spiritual attentives of the people. It renews the spiritual attentives of the people. It reconciles men to God and to one another. It rebuilds the waste places. It repairs the breach and it restores the ancient paths to dwell in. And to whom is the voice directed? Primarily to the church. My people, says the Lord. So today on Viewpoint, I trust that you'll hang in there and stay tuned because you're going to hear 
as it were, another voice crying in the wilderness. When I first began this uh, tour of duty before the Lord, he sent us to Richmond, Virginia, and the very next thing that happened, I was called to appear on a small radio station out in western Virginia. After that program, I spoke at another church, and here's what happened. A man stood up and he said, you're a John the Baptist for our time. Well, wait a minute. A John the Baptist? That's like a death sentence. A John the Baptist for our time? That's making yourself an object for Hamas to take off your head, isn't it? Maybe that's part of the problem, that people are afraid today. They're afraid to speak the truth. Today on Viewpoint, I trust that you'll be encouraged to actually be willing to speak the truth and that the Holy Spirit will grip your mind and your heart as our guest, Miles Rutherford, joins us with his his book, Raise Your Voice. He says it's an urgent call to speak out in a collapsing culture that begins with a collapsing church. Miles, it's good to have you on the program. Hey, it's wonderful to be here. Absolutely am grateful, honored to have the opportunity to speak to the audience here about the the moment and the time that you'd mentioned we are in. Well, are you convinced, as I am, that we are on the near edge? We don't know the day or the the hour, but uh, we're certainly commanded and expected by the Lord to understand the season, but you'd never know it by the way things are going inside God's house, would you? No, you wouldn't. Um, you gave a statistic that 40%. I had honestly heard that just recently a poll came out that out of those, only 1% actually believe that the Lord Jesus Christ could come back in their lifetime. That means 99% don't really believe that he would come back. And the Lord says, I'm coming back when you least expect it. Mm. So that pretty much sets up a moment here that he could come back any second. Well, it's amazing. It really is amazing. And indeed, if we don't understand, some have a sense of the time that we're living in. Uh, I don't know if it takes an attack by Hamas on Israel. Uh, I don't know whether it will take an attack by Iran on the United States or a combined attack of China and Russia on who knows what. But it seems that the tension is rising in our world, and apparently the secular world thinks so too, because we're right on the edge of what is called the New World Order, or the Great Reset, just set to take place in about six and a half years. You would think that that would get somebody's attention, wouldn't you? Hmm. Absolutely. You know, when you look at everything, Matthew 24, what Jesus spoke about, and that was the words in red. And he, they asked, "Is one of the signs? What's the signs of the times coming back?" He says, "You'll hear of wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, all of these things. You know, we've had all of our lifetime, but it has not, it has not culminated to where it is right now." And then he, he throws a, another few things in there about lawlessness, um, and has as it was in the days of Noah. So will it be in the coming of the son of, son of the Lord? It also, or son of man, rather. And he says, uh, in Luke, he speaks of the time where it'll be like Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you look at the days of Noah, um, I know there's a lot of things that point to that. The Nephilim, there's there's the, the lawlessness, the wickedness. and mm-hmm. But, you know, what was the sign of Noah after he stepped off that boat? It was a rainbow. And uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, we have a, a strong 
uh, agenda in America and around a lot of nations that have turned a seven-color rainbow into a six-color rainbow. And you see the, <laughs> you see the signs all over. And, and these signs uh, is a sign of a rainbow. And what was the other thing you mentioned? You mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, if you look in Jude, you see that he speaks of a strong sexual immorality that was in that city that yeah. it was destroyed for. And uh, so you have, you don't just have wars and rumors of wars, you have all these other things culminating. Exactly. The it's the confluence. It's the confluence. All the tributations of the rivers of history are converging together in one surging mailstream toward the second coming. We'll be right back, friends, after this. Stay tuned. Raise your voice. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Years ago, about 1986, a fellow by the name of Leonard Ravenhill wrote a small booklet called America is Too Young to Die. It was a call to revival, and here's what he said. In this critical hour of America's history, we have no prophets. He said, oh, if only we had an Elijah. But then he went on in his next book called Revival, God's Way, a message to the church. He said a spiritual revival is not important to the church and to America. It's imperative. He said, I believe we're in the darkest uh, era in our nation's history, and for that matter, in world history. Really? Do you believe that? A lot of people try to put that down. Even even many pastors try to put that down and say, oh, come on, we've got to sell, we've got to market the gospel, we've got to make it popular, we've got to get people with popular speakers out there that are going to uh, kind of motivationally stir the people up to be happy about themselves. Well, that's what one prominent preacher said. In fact, he was the one who stirred up... Uh, a couple of other very prominent, in fact, two of the most prominent preachers of our era. He was their godfather, shall we say. He built the Crystal Cathedral. And he said, we should not be telling people that they're sinners. That's child abuse, he said. No, he said, we should help them gain more self-esteem. That was his measure of salvation. And that was his message to raise up a voice in America, but not for God, for the exaltation of our feelings. Our feelings have betrayed us, friends. And now our guest today, Miles Rutherford, says we need to raise up our voices. But if the voice or the trumpet sounds an uncertain sound, then who will arise to the battle? Isn't that what the Bible says? Miles it's time that we raise up our voice like a trumpet, like Isaiah said, and show my people their transgressions. But that doesn't mark it well these days, does it? No, it does not. You know, 
Jesus himself said, I have come to call sinners to repentance. That was one of his descriptions of his ministry. I find that a lot of ministries all around the nation in America, which I'm especially endeared to right now, um, ministries have learned how to do church growth, but not really bring disciples or make disciples. We focused on that. You know, the reason I wrote this book was not a church growth book. Mm-hmm. This was all about growing a remnant. There are a group of people inside of America that are fed up with just simple TED Talk, self-satisfaction, motivational ministry mindset. And, you know, uh, when, when Jesus himself says, hey, I'm calling sinners for repentance, who are we to veer off the greatest voice of righteousness that's ever walked this earth? You know, you look at Noah. Noah was what, what Jesus, what God called him, Second Peter 2, 4. He said he was a, a voice of righteousness. He was mm-hmm. not just a, he was, I'm sorry, he was a preacher. Of righteousness. Uh, and that word preacher is a very strong word uh, in the Greek, caruso, which means a crier with eternal conviction. He was a preacher of righteousness. Not only did he cry out, but he, he called people, as you had mentioned just recently, Elijah. Like an Elijah, Noah, John the Baptist, call people back. They're prophets. Not that predict you get a mansion or they predict you're going to have a car and money's coming your way. True prophetic ministry points people back to God. And right now we need prophetic voices that will stand up and point America, the remnant, back to God. Oh, see, so they weren't marketing holy water then? No. The holy water was coming to cleanse the earth, uh to eradicate all the sin because of unrighteousness, wasn't it, there in Noah's day? You know, Noah, if, if, if we're going to measure success on how many people come to our church, measure success on making people feel good, how many felt good, then Noah was a miserable failure. He preached for 120 years, and only seven other people got in the boat. I mean, if we really <laughs> measured... <laughs> If we measured success the way God measured it, then we would look at Noah's. We would look at John the Baptist. And, you know, you'd mention John the Baptist. Sure. People have said that about me. Yeah, it's almost like a death. I'd rather you call me an Elijah or something. You know, he gets taken to heaven. But, uh, <laughs> In a chariot of fire, yeah. <laughs> right, right. But, well, go ahead, Miles. Well, I was going to say, Matthew 24, Jesus says, this gospel will be preached, and then the end will come. That word preach is not euangelizo, which is evangelism. That word preached is caruso, which represents how it will be preached, not just that it will be preached. Caruso means to herald with an eternal conviction. In other words, you've got to get before the Lord. Repent. Come. He's coming. He said, when you hear this, this is when the end of the word will come. You know, isn't so, it interesting that the Bible frames... Christ coming with the blowing of a shofar, the sound of the yes. trumpet. And uh, this is exactly the metaphor that God was using in talking to Isaiah. Lift up your voice like a trumpet, like a shofar. But he said, yes. show my people their transgressions. Somehow right. we have the idea that the primary focus of the Bible is evangelistic. It's not. The primary focus of the Bible is wooing and warning and strengthening those who call themselves by the name of the Lord. It's my people that have to be quickened. It's my people that have to return to me. You can't return to God if you've never been with him, can you? 
No, absolutely not. You know, the, that's, that's scripture, cry aloud, Isaiah 58, 1, I believe it is, spare not. In other words, don't spare anything. That's what's wrong with people today as when they're preaching. And I don't believe preaching follows ordination. I believe preaching follows salvation. I mean, Mark sixteen fifteen says we are all called mm. to preach that gospel, to lift up the voice of God to our family, to our loved ones, to everyone around us. You know, if you have to have a microphone <laughs> or a radio broadcast, as you know, to be a preacher, then that's just called a performer. I think. Oh, well, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> a performer. Oh, man. If we were well, trying to I'm win friends and influence people, I tell you, uh, after 28 and a half years, we should have about uh, 100 million people listening to this program. <laughs> Well, I can tell right now that you are a remnant voice in America, so that wasn't directed towards you. <laughs> but I know that there are a lot of preachers that, and there's a lot of people seeking ministry, and they think ministry is a microphone. No, it's not. Ministry is to do small and menial, insignificant tasks that the kingdom of the Lord provides for every single one of us to preach that gospel, to be a representation, mm. to be an ambassador. Yes. We've got America is declining extremely declining. It's statistically declining. We are one generation, statistically, we are 26 years away, one generation away from a godless society. That's right. We're, we're right on the precipice, aren't we? We are. Yeah. There are other, other nations right now. I have friends in, in the United Kingdom that said there's only 2.8%. Even in Israel, I have people that are, that are, I love Israel, we pray for Israel, but they're saying it's, it's an extremely godless nation, and they're God's chosen people. Um, and, and America's following suit, and that's why we're out here. My wife and I are traveling the nation right now, 30, 31 days, 16 churches, lifting up our voice and just putting markers all over all over America, raising a remnant back up. Please raise your voice. Our children's children need you to raise your voice. They're not going to have a church if we don't speak up right now. Well, that's right. Now, uh, this matter of righteousness is a... Uh a term we do not hear much anymore. Uh, I remember about 15 years ago, uh, here in Richmond, Virginia, the birthplace of the nation, right here on the James River, the birth river of America, I was crossing that river on my way to a pastor's monthly uh, prayer breakfast. And as I crossed the James River, I asked the Lord a simple question, Miles. I said, Lord, why is it after all of these years of crying out to you for revival in our country. All of the prayer, people even bragging about how much prayer is going up, that God has to listen. I said, why is it we have no revival? And he answered me immediately, Miles. Here's what he said. My pastors are not preaching righteousness. So I'm briefly cogitating on that for a few seconds, and then he said, and... That's the reason why your nation is in the trouble you're in. So I'm cogitating on that. And then he says, and that's why my church has nothing to say to the nation. So I got to the meeting, and we were having our coffee, you know, nice time before breakfast. And uh, I shared this little tete-a-tete that I'd had with one of the prominent pastors in the area, pastor of a church of about 2,000 people, an evangelical church that had its roots in the holiness movement back in the late 1800s. 
And as I shared this, he hung his head, and here's what he said. Chuck, I don't think I even know how to preach righteousness. What say you, Miles? Well, righteousness is right standing with God. And there's a lot of people that are preaching love and acceptance rather than love and repentance. There's only one way to become righteous before the Lord. That is obviously the blood of Jesus Christ. He is our true righteousness. But then there's a level of sanctification. And I really feel like the, the, where we are in America today is we have this love and acceptance ministry rather than love and repentance ministry. True. That's you know, true. You, you, you tapped on something. You said, How, why are we not experiencing revival? I, I think one of the greatest things is people think revival brings repentance, but revival does not bring repentance. It's actually the opposite way around. Exactly. We search our hearts. We repent as a person and, and as leaders of our homes, as, as husbands and fathers and mothers. And then the, 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 the church begins to change. Then the nation goes. I really believe that. And that, that is and, what produces revival, repentance and the return to righteousness. The, the righteousness is extremely vital right now. And God, the sound, the clarion sound on preachers' lips right now cannot be another series on Relationship 101. I, I, this may offend people, but it's got to be, please, God, turn the hearts of the people. Second uh, Chronicles 7.14, turn their hearts, if my people, not a when, if my people call by my name. And like you said, it is a, the Bible is written to a to a group of people, to a minority. Mm-hmm. And uh, the church inside this world, Jesus never said, I pray for them that you would, Lord, that you would take them out of this world. He said, I pray you keep them in the world, that they can be a light. There you go. Um, we're, we, have, we are finding out strongly that the, the preaching of today is bending light rather than bearing it. Wow, that is and, terrific. You know, I want to make uh, your book available to our listeners here. Uh, it's called Raise Your Voice, Friends. And remember, your voice may not be basso profundo like uh, Miles. It might be not baritone like mine. It might not be a tenor voice. There are all kinds of voices that God wants to raise up. Each of us has our place. But this book is going to help you understand why your voice counts. Your voice counts. $18 $18 will put the book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Raise your voice. Not raise your voice in uh, emotional anger, per se. Yes, we can be angry at evil. In fact, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, the Bible says. But we're not supposed to hate people, per se. We hate the evil, and we preach righteousness, holiness, without which no man shall even see the Lord. And that's where we stand today. It's time for us to stand up, to raise our voice, but before we raise our voice, Something has to happen in our inner 
being. Something had to happen in John the Baptist's inner being before he raised his voice. Something had to happen in Noah's inner being being before he raised his voice. Something had to happen in the mind and heart of uh, Joshua and Caleb before they raised their voice against 600,000 men who were saying something totally contrary. What had to happen? Maybe that's what we should talk about next with our special guest, Miles Rutherford, a pastor and revivalist, trying to ignite the fire of God in the hearts of God's people here in America and around the world. We'll be right back after this, friends. Stay tuned. Remember, Viewpoint does determine destiny, including yours. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. We're talking with our friend here, Miles Rutherford. I say our friend because uh, having never met him before, I've met him in spirit through his book and through the words that he's sharing here on this program. And the Holy Spirit unites us, unites us with a common message, a common spirit, a common heart. And that's what binds us together. That's what bound uh, Joshua and Caleb together when... The other ten spies that had been sent out, leaders of Israel, leaders of their special tribes, leaders, shall we say, of the other ten churches of Israel. And they went out and searched the land, the promised land, and they said it was exactly like God said it was, except for one thing, and that is there were giants in the land. And so they decided to agree with their eyesight rather than with God's sight. And they lost their vision. And because of that, God would not allow them or all of those that followed them, 599,998 men who God, with a mighty hand, had taken out of Egypt as the... uh, The heirs according to the promise, the descendants of Abraham, but they didn't get to the promised land because they didn't have the right spirit. The Bible says of Joshua and Caleb, they had another spirit. And I'll tell you, uh, Miles, when I think of that, I, I really have come to the conclusion we can't just purpose to lift up our voice without that other spirit that drives it, can we? No, we cannot. Um, There has to be not just our spirit.
Spirit, but the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, you talk about Joshua and Caleb. I think of also P- uh, Peter, you know, and the oh, baptism yeah. of, of the Holy Spirit. Here he is, a broken man, has completely um, disregarded God. He denied him three times, but then he was restored, and then he prays along with 119 other people. And um, the Bible says after the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room, the next thing you read in Acts 2.14 is that Peter raises his voice. That's been mm. one of the biggest things that I've, I've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when the Holy Spirit fills you, that spirit, the spirit of God, which is not a cowardice spirit, it is a spirit of power and might. He is, rather, a spirit of power and might that, is, that endues us. Um, it gives us the boldness to give clarion calls, uh, and that's exactly what Peter did. Well, you re- you use the word right, the, the correct word, boldness, because when we lift up our voice, God is not calling us to scream at people, is he? He's calling us to lift up our voice for the appropriate circumstances at that time. If it be a large group, we've got to lift up our voice harder, depending upon the nature of the group. We lift up our voice. We don't hesitate to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You know, I practiced law uh, for 20 years as a trial lawyer, Miles, Mm -hmm. and uh, calling many, many a witness to the stand. And the court clerk says, now, will you please raise your right hand and uh, say before me, uh, take this oath, do you now solemnly pledge that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. I've never, ever, ever heard anybody say that they wouldn't do that. And then they proceeded to lie like mad on the stand. And that's why I had to do my best work called (laughs) cross-examination. To ferret out the truth, the real truth. Because deception is the name of the game today. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely agree with it. You know, Romans 1. He, uh, Paul begins to talk about the power of salvation, the power of God. Mm-hmm. And the next scripture, I think you see, it says, and this is where things went wrong. It says, godly men who knew the truth suppressed the truth. That's the scriptures. And if you look at Romans 1, 18 through 32, all the way down, he talks about God giving them up, giving them over, mm-hmm. giving them over to a debased mind. All of those are symptoms of the source. The source is that we forgot to preach the truth or... We knew the truth, but yet we chose to ignore it. Okay, well, let's um, build up on that, because you use the term suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Okay. So what does that mean? I think an awful lot of the time, Miles, the reason we're in trouble and we don't connect the dots from God's viewpoint is we're not willing to define our terms. And the reason we're not willing to define our terms is because that's where the rubber meets the road, and we don't like what happens. We don't want the, the, the flashback that comes when we actually begin to truly apply the Word of God. So, why is it, do you think, that the oath before the court says to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Why do you think those three components are there? Oh goodness! You being a trial lawyer, you're putting me on trial here. Well, you know but, we're all you're. You are a trial lawyer, friend. You're a voice. You're a you're a clarion call. You're out there pleading God's cause in the land as a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation, just like I am. I think. Yeah, I think the biggest problem is 
Not that we don't tell a truth, we just don't tell the whole truth. Well, you know, um, I absolutely agree uh, with this because, you know, you look at the first thing that ever happened that caused sin. You look at uh, you look at the serpent, and he did not tell the full truth. And look where we are today because people used, because a, a, a serpent used deception. I want to hit deception for a minute because Good. he said it very strongly. Mm. People, the Bible says in the last days that even the elect will be deceived. How are you? How do you know that you're deceived if you believe you what you believe is the truth? You know the Bible says this: that many will depart, and in the last days, apostatize. They will depart from the faith. So it does not say, and this is what I'm seeing today: it does not say that they will depart from church. It says they will depart <laughs> from faith. <laughs> okay, Isn't now you're starting to go from preaching to meddling again. See. <laughs> well, it's, now, if you're not careful, you can go to church and be fully deceived. Oh, absolutely! You can you can walk you can walk into a garage and identify as a car, but you're still not a car, are you? No. The only way, going back to truth, the only way you can bring yourself to understand if you are truly deceived is to go back to, as you are a lawyer, the original manuscript mm. the original document yep. you've got to go back to the word you can't go back to what somebody said about the word because that's what satan said in the garden and uh he twisted the word matter of fact he left out the word lord he just said did god really mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. well th- th- in the scriptures it was lord god in mm-hmm. other words lord representing ownership uh he just gave him the reference of god and uh and twisted truth We've done that today in our churches. We've done that all over the country, thinking that belief in God was what God was really looking for. Even the devil believes in God. What he wants us to do is receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, recognizing that we need a Savior because we're desperately sinful and under under a death penalty. Exactly. You know, I I preach all the time. Demons believe in God, and we believe in God. What separates us from the demons? <laughs> and, um, That's like identifying with the demons, isn't it? <laughs> but the, the one great thing is the name of Jesus. We have the ability to be under that name, to be washed in his blood. That's the main thing. I believe there is a major silver lining in America if, if a remnant, a group of people begin to raise their voice, and mm. we've got to stop allowing, um, uh, as as believers, to believe that that means, oh, that's for the pastor up there on the stage. No, that's for every single one of us. We've got, again, 26 years left. It, unless a remnant raises her voice, it, 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 America is going to be completely different in 26 years. If and we even have 26 years. I'm not convinced exactly. we do. Exactly. I'm not convinced we have 26 years. I think the pressure is mounting so greatly and so quickly. uh, We may not have 26. We may only have six years. Well, I'm in agreement with you, and I know where you're going with that. There is a a massive agenda on the U.N. for 2030. We started a seven-year SMEDA in the Hebrew calendar Uh past year, 23. We are actually in 24 in the Hebrew years. And we're actually in 2024. And if you actually look at 
God spoke this to me. Now, this is a little prophetic, so hopefully this don't catch people off guard, because sometimes prophetic can be a little bit mm. like, okay, what's that mean? But if you look at Joel, look at Joel and look at chapter 2 and look at the verse, mm. verse 20, for, for the year 20. And it talks about a plague comes in and sweeps. 21, fear not. What were we telling everybody in 2021? Fear not. Hey, this thing, listen, in 2020, you, it says fear not, for the pastures are opening up. What happened in 2022? Businesses started to begin to flourish again. Twenty twenty three, you you look and you see twenty twenty four, all the way Chuck from twenty twenty four to twenty thirty. Isn't that isn't that ironic? For six twenty four, always twenty thirty, outpour, amazing miracles, uh, signs and wonders, God moving in the church. I believe right now is the time. And if we truly only do have six years left, um, then let's make it the best six years. Well, uh, that this world has ever seen. I would agree with that, but it's going to require a uh, remnant of people to fall on their faces in repentance first, because we cannot speak and lift up our voices like a trumpet unless we first have the trumpet anointing. And that's what is necessary, because God is not pleased. I'm quoting right from your book. God is not pleased with us when our only aspirations for Christianity, the church, are for it to be popular it to be accepted by the world and be comfortable. God moves in authority, not majority. God always has a person or people who will speak for him. We're like walking dead men, you said. We've died to the desire for popularity and worrying about what others think. We have died to the desire to be praised by men. If it smells like compromise, we won't even go near it. Wow. That sounds like a remnant. So then, friends, what really is a remnant? Maybe we should talk a little bit more about that. Because I'll tell you one thing, I have some real images in my own mind and heart about what a remnant really looks like. My mother taught it to me. And boy, it drove deeply into my cranium and deep into my spirit. And God knows what a remnant looks like, too. Does that include you? We'll be right back after this. Got to get a copy of this great book, Raise Your Voice, an urgent call to speak out of the collapsing culture on our website, saveus.org. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. Let's change the word Sell Church to House Church now, my friends. God is calling his church home. Home is where the heart is, and uh, the remnant will be called together because their hearts are united by the Holy Spirit, by the authority of the Word of God, and by the yearning 
for Christian, genuine Christian fellowship as things get tougher and tougher out there in our world. There's a reason, friends, why I'm in the process uh, right now in the middle of Chapter 6 of a new book called When Persecution Comes. And it's rising so rapidly that even as I'm writing, every day I'm finding more and more indications as to how rapidly persecution is advancing. That means that the remnant is going to have to be formed quickly because the rest of the people will, well, they'll just compromise. They will. The majority of people will compromise, and they will receive the infamous mark. They will because they're not strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. But our guest today says there's a window of time left for the remnant to turn the church's heart back to God. We're going to talk a little bit about what that remnant looks like. He and I will give our various thoughts and insights concerning that as the Lord has impressed them upon us. But before we do that, I want to be a little more specific about uh, your getting a copy of his book, Raise Your Voice, An Urgent Call to Speak Out in a Collapsing Culture. Uh, it's uh, an $18 book right there on our website, saveus.org. And uh, you can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling will get it in your hands. This is the moment of truth. As Thomas Paine, a very ungodly man, said at the time of the Revolutionary War, these are the times that try men's souls, and indeed they really are. But the soul of the remnant is tried in a different way because their hearts are turned passionately toward the Lord and to one another to encourage and support one another. And that's why we cannot forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is. That doesn't mean in megachurches, friends. That means the assembling of ourselves together, well, a remnant. But what does that look like? We're not talking about a cult here. We're talking about people whose hearts God has changed powerfully to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour in this country and around the world. So uh, let me ask you, Miles, what you think a remnant is. Oh, goodness, Chuck, I could go on this for five minutes at least. Uh, Well, you have five minutes if you want. Or we can enter, we can go back and forth and uh, do a seesaw on it. Well, let's do a seesaw. I will say, um, a remnant, it's in my book, a remnant, pardon me. It's mentioned 540 times in the Bible. Mm-mm-mm. And what it simply is, is it is a piece. It is a reserve. Matter of fact, the word reserve is interchangeable in it. Um, and and there, the remnant is a smaller portion of the of the greater. Right. Um, they are, they're not better than anybody else. They're just simply bolder than. That's number one. Number two, the remnant in America especially, and I know there are other countries listening, is smaller than anyone could think. Mm-hmm. But it is stronger than anybody could think. Um, what makes you a remnant? Going to church doesn't make you a remnant. No. Paying ties don't make you a remnant. A remnant is simply the same thing that the disciples looked at Jesus and they said, and they quoted the scripture as he took the whip and began to flip tables. 
the Bible says that they quoted six, Psalm 69.9, which simply says, The zeal of thine house has consumed me, for the insults of God have fallen upon him. I have one of my greatest scriptures that I live by is, The offense of God has become my offense as well. Not, not that you're taking offense, you receive that offense. Well, everybody's so concerned about offending others. Well, yeah. What about offending God? Exactly. The things that are going on, God is displeased that on a level that we've never seen. And the, the remnant feel it. They just don't know how to express it without having cancel culture show up. Yeah. So... <laughs> That's right. Exactly. And you can get cancel culture right in the church. Let me give you an illustration. I think that probably the most telling statistic of our time for the past uh, 40 years has been the monumental assault on the family, but particularly marriage. That's where it started. It started in 1968 with the no-fault divorce action taken by uh, then-Governor Ronald Reagan, who said it was the worst thing he ever did. But it set a course that was adopted in the church house in the 1970s through the uh, church growth movement, starting in Pasadena, California, where I practice law. And it spread like wildfire across the church, so that by the mid-1980s, the divorce rate in the church had nearly equaled that as the the nation as a whole. And for the past 20 years, the divorce rate in the Bible Belt of America, Miles, has exceeded the nation as a whole by 50%. So much so that the governors of six southern states a few years ago declared a marital emergency. The pastors didn't. The governors did. That's how serious this is. And God says, I hate putting away. I hate divorce. He didn't say, I hate transgenderism. He said, I hate divorce. Why is it that we somehow can collectivize ourselves corporately against transgenderism and homosexuality and just totally fail to see how it all got started by us embracing that which God said he hated? Tell me that. Well, you know, God hates divorce because it is the earthly replica of what our relationship with God is. You exactly. Know, that's that's the fundamental element. It is. So it's we have fractured with our own intent, with our own fleshly desire, we fractured the most fundamental relational concept that God established in his word. And pastors Absolutely. have played the game with the people in order to please them. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. You look at um, you look at the degradation or the declination of immorality. It did not start with the transgender movement, did it? It didn't nope. start with the uh, homosexuality. It started with, literally, in America in 1960, truth coming out of schools. Um, you find when truth was suppressed, like we've mentioned before, comes out of schools, the next thing you see is a wild sexual revolution in America that lasted for, for quite some time, and yep. obviously that was a theme. It's still going on. It's metastasizing. It's, it's, it's extremely getting worse. Uh, and if you look at Romans 1, honestly, people really should read Romans 1. 
because every time it got worse, <laughs> it went to a different level. A and different stage, level, that's even right. After, even after homosexuality and transgenderism, the Bible says then they began to invent evil. I don't even, I, I don't even think we can realize how artificial intelligence and living in worlds, marrying that with sexual uh, fantasies and things that are of that nation and going into chat rooms. I, I don't even think people have an idea or can conceptualize yeah. what is on the horizon. Well, they're already talking about virtual sex and uh, sex with robots. And since sex is largely a matter of the mind and the heart, uh, you can see where all this is going. Uh, it's it's a big deal. So let's get back to the remnant. Uh yeah. When I was a kid, along about 10 to 13 years of age, we lived in Fresno, California. And uh, we didn't have much money, to put it mildly. My father was a pastor in home mission churches. And in those days, you know, the the idea was, Lord, you keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. And so (laughs) my father kept the calling, but... uh, we didn't have hardly anything. But my mother had tremendous abilities with sewing. She was a seamstress par excellence. So she was able to take what seemed like a waste of fabric and turn it into uh, a monumental, gorgeous piece of, uh, of not just fabric, but uh, product. She made our suits. She made our clothes, our shirts. She made our pajamas. She made everything. Well, how did she do that? Well, my father would take her and the family without air conditioning in our car downtown Fresno to a place called Gutchocks, and next to it was a remnant store, fabric remnants. And my mother would spend who knows how long, it seemed like hours there, as we toured around the streets with no air conditioning, And uh, she would find fabric that she could see could be used very profitably. Well, what what good did that do? Well, she could buy the fabric for 10 cents on the dollar. Because nobody else valued it. It was deemed value-less. And that's what a true remnant is. That which is perceived by the culture as value-less. True followers of Jesus Christ are perceived by the culture as value-less. That's the remnant, isn't it? Yeah, yes. Um, A remnant, in its definition, is a a small piece left over. Yeah, that's exactly Uh, right. And um, if you look at that, I've, I've... been with people who have laid carpet i've laid carpet and when i was trying to work through uh to become in ministry full-time well there's more than one way to get a man on his knees even if god has to have you lay carpet right yeah and you would and here's the thing that i learned about it the piece that did not fit the piece that did not fit Uh uh-huh was the remnant piece exactly how many people listening to your broadcast feel like Man, I just don't fit with the world and what it's saying. I don't mm-hmm. even fit with some of the culturalistic expectations of church right now. I don't fit. That's because you're a remnant. And people 
who are a remnant, they just have a hard time fitting in because they're really meant for God for another season. And like you said, when the remnant comes together, I think I think somebody said one time that Persian rugs are so expensive because they have they have um, imperfections. They're, they're sewn together. Uh, they have things that are not right. A lot of people think they're disabled when God can't use them because of their imperfections or mm. uh, things of that nature. And I know we're going a different direction here with this, but right. remnant people have to learn that God wants to use them. God needs them. And really, people don't want to hear a remnant preacher until they need to hear a remnant preacher. There you go. There you go. And that's, uh, you know, every person doesn't see themselves as a preacher, but the reality is, if we are called to be ambassadors for Christ, there is a sense in which we are all called to be that preacher of righteousness, to live out that righteousness with a kind of loving, holy boldness, anointed by the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you, Miles, how many people call me, email me. Where can I find a body that truly loves, teaches, and preaches the whole truth and is interested in genuine Christian community? They say, I can't find it. I had a call just, uh, what was it, yesterday from a woman crying out, crying out. I feel like she didn't use the word remnant, but that's what she was saying. Another person just last evening as I was chatting, they were doing some, some work for me, and the person admitted, you know, I just, I feel alone. I love the Lord. I'm spending time in his word every day, but I feel alone. God is calling us now. You're not alone. It's time to come forward. It's time to come out. This is the real coming out party, isn't it? Miles, I think it's the real coming out party. The remnant has to come forth. Raise your voice, friends. An urgent call to speak out in a collapsing culture. It's there. And to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. $18 will put this wonderful book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries. Become a partner. Send your gifts by faith, friends, to Save America Ministries. Do it today. Don't delay. And let's be the remnant God has called us to be. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.